Good morning. We're going to turn this morning to Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 25. Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. Let him who steals, steal no longer. But rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear it. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God for whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. In our first church in Little Wet, British Columbia, we had the privilege of living right beside the railroad tracks, the, the main BC line that went up north through uh, British Columbia. Uh, I mean, it, it was so close that when the freight trains came through, it rattled the house and, and you could hear the whistle because it was just a half a block away from a, a, where a road crossed and so forth. I, I'm not sure my wife appreciated it as much as I did because my family was a, tra- a train family, but uh, hers w- was not. But because we were so close to the train line and our church was within a block of the train track as well, we had a lot of what I call drifters come through. They would ride the rails, come looking for a handout at the church. The amazing thing to me was not that they came looking for a handout, but how many of them professed to believe exactly what I believed now. I often asked them, what do you think I believe? What <laughs> was interesting to hear their, what their idea and take on Christianity was. But uh, I, one man came by, and he believed ex- exactly what I believed. And he needed, I don't know whether it was food or something that he needed, and I didn't have any money. We were living on a $600 a month salary. That didn't go very far with three kids in the home. And... Uh, uh, it was the end of the month. I said, I really don't have a dollar to my name. I can't help you today. And he looked at me and he said, well, surely you have a credit card you can loan me for a few hours. <laughs> and I thought, and how dumb do you think I am? <laughs> uh, 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 another lady came through uh, when we were in our church in Portland and uh, She came to the church. She needed some groceries. We had a small pantry in the church, so I gathered up some groceries for her. And then knowing that she lived about two miles from the church, I said, I'm going that direction. I'll drop you off at the house because it's kind of hard to pack a couple bags of groceries that far. As I drove up to the house, there on the roof was a big satellite TV dish, a big color TV in the window, a man sitting there watching the TV. This was the middle of the day. And I said, is that your husband? And she said, oh, no, we're not married. We, we can't get married because if we get married, I lose some of my welfare benefits. And uh, I said, well, doesn't he work? And she said, well, why should he work when we can get welfare? And, uh, and yet she professed to believe 
the same things I believed. I thought, that's not my lifestyle. That doesn't reflect what, what I believe. The fact that we belong to Jesus Christ, I believe, should show in our lives. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said in verse 20, by their fruits you shall know them. Last week we looked at the fact that if we belong to Jesus Christ, we need a change of clothes. And so this is the second part of that message. We, we looked at the fact that there were some things we put off, like we take off an old garment and put on a new garment. Uh, and, and that should be true in our lives if we belong to Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not suggesting in that a work salvation. In chapter 2, Paul has revealed our salvation comes in verse 8, for by grace you've been saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We are saved through faith in the grace of Jesus Christ. But notice he goes on to say in that very passage, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in that. Somebody said, we are not saved by works, but if we are saved, we will work. That's the idea that comes out of James chapter 2. Show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. And, and so in this portion of scripture that we read this morning, we have five concrete ways in which the fact that we belong to Christ should make a difference in our lives. Now, I really wrestle with how to get a clever outline for this passage. I didn't come up with a clever outline. It just didn't seem to fit. So I, I'm just giving you the basics of, of what he says here. If you can come up with a clever outline, that's fine. But uh, I'm just sticking to the contrast of, of the two thoughts that he has in each of these particular verses. The first one is do not lie versus tell the truth. If we are a child of God, this is the starting point. We should honestly take a look at our speech and, and what we are saying through it. Now, in the Greek, the, he uses it a, a literal, the literal word here is, um, let me get back to the text here, laying aside, what it says in the Greek is, lay aside the lie. There's a definite article that, that goes with it. Our, my version puts it falsehood or, or lying here. But the idea behind it, I believe, comes out of Romans chapter 1. In, in verse 25, uh, speaking of mankind in general, it says, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. Amen. The, the lie I think that he has in mind there actually goes back to the Garden of Eden when Satan brought that lie into the life of of, of Adam and Eve and he said has God really said and, and God doesn't really mean this and they believed the lie that Satan brought to them they rejected the truth of God's word so what he is su suggesting here I believe is if we believe in Jesus Christ if we have accepted him do we live as if he is Lord of our lives are, are, are we living in light of the fact of who he is and what he wants to do in our heart and life we are called today to live out the faith in, in john 14 6 we read i am the way the truth and the life no man comes to the father but by me if we've come to christ we've come 
to the truth. He is the ultimate truth there, and we have a responsibility to respond to that truth. Before we came to Christ, in John chapter 8, verse 44, it speaks of the fact, uh, you are of your father, the devil. He's talking to the Pharisees and the scribes here. You want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whatever he speaks, Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when he talks here of do not lie, are we recognizing who he is? Are, are we giving him that rightful place of Lord in our lives? I, I, I don't know about your kids, but uh, I never had to teach my kids how to lie. I, I trust none of you did that, but uh, it, it's amazing how little children can lie and, and come to lie so quickly. We had a little girl when we were in the Indian village up in uh, Solanco Forks, British Columbia. Her name was Jessie, and uh, she was maybe five years old at the time. But I have never been around a child or an adult that could spin a story as quick and easy as that little girl could. You never accepted what she said as, as the truth. You, you always made sure you, you checked it out. Where she learned that, I don't know. It was just part of her nature. There are many ways in which we can lie. I, I'm, I don't know. Did I give you the three on your notes or, or three spaces? Three spaces. I'm going to make you work. Okay. Uh, we, we can tell a lie by st a statement that is not true. Now, I, I trust that we don't do that very often, but it happens, doesn't it? A and yet I wonder if we're not careful if we do that even in worship. How many of you know that song, I Surrender All? Do you ever sing it? I Surrender All. And then the Lord puts a finger on some area of our life and we say, wait a minute, I didn't mean that area. I, I, I said I surrender all, but um, maybe just three-fourths. Uh, 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 who was it? Don used to say, we should sing it, I surrender some. <laughs> uh, uh, it, we, we make that statement of fact so easily or, or we sing, he's my Lord. Do we put him first? Do we give him that rightful place or when we make our decisions when when we set our priorities is he first or have we just said that word and not really meant it we, we can make a statement but is it really true in our lives sometimes we lie by making it an intent to deceive not really an outright lie but but uh, it's uh, it's a formal lying uh, i read the story of a young boy by the name of johnny whose mother had told him not to touch the, the new open jar of peach preserves. Now, uh, Johnny, while his mother was out of the house, sneaked into the kitchen, disobeyed her orders, and then he looked around the kitchen and saw his two-year-old brother there. And so he took some of the preserves and he smeared it on his brother's face. He said, I'm sorry to do this, Jimmy, but I can't let mom think I did it. She'll forgive you, but I know I'll get a whipping. He was giving the wrong impression. He, he was living a lie. We can do that if we're not careful. We, we can live a lie without actually saying the lie. And then the other area in which we can lie is we can exaggerate or misrepresent something. You ever face that temptation when you want to sell a car? <laughs> do you tell the intended seller what's wrong with it? 
or do you exaggerate and build up what's right with it? And you just don't tell the whole truth there. Why is it important for us to tell the truth? Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18 speaks of the fact, um, I think we'll just read that verse. It's, it's uh, the writer of Hebrews is speaking about Abraham there, how God swore to Ab- Abraham uh, that he would give him the, the promised land and so forth. And come down to verse 18. It says, in order that by two unchangeable things or immutable things there, it, it is impossible for God to lie. Because on to say, because of that, we may have strong encouragement, we who have fled for refuge in laying hold of the hope set before us there. He said, it's impossible for God to lie. In reality, the truth is the outworking of his love. And if it was impossible for God to lie, then we need to put off lying and put on telling the truth because we are his ambassadors. We're his representatives in the world in which we live today. Matter of fact, not only are we to put off lying and tell the truth, but have you ever noticed it's much easier to tell the truth? I I think of the young boy that was a witness in in court. Uh, The uh, prosecuting attorney looked at this young boy and said, did your father tell you what to say when you got here? He said, oh, yes, my, my dad told me what to say. You know, he's trying to discredit the witness of this little boy. And he said, I would like to know what your father said. And he said, well, my father said, just go up there and tell the truth. And you, that's all you have to do every time. If you tell the truth, you won't get into any trouble there. Now, good advice. And that's what that young boy was doing at that point in time, that lawyer forgot one of the basic factors. You never ask a question. You don't know what the answer is in in a courtroom situation. And and here he was found wanting in that that situation. But the basic issue is, do we live the truth? It's easy to profess Jesus Christ as Lord. But do we live, do we act out that, allow him to act out that lordship in our life and, and in our hearts by our speech and our conversation there? Second area that he looks at is, he says, do not lose your temper versus practice self-control. Now, I'm not going to ask if you have a problem with a temper or not or with anger. Anger can be expressed in several different ways. Two wrong ways is, first of all, we repress it or we bottle it up, and that leads to bitterness in our hearts. Back in 1994, in the same, it is still a problem today, I had an article in type came out of Leadership Magazine entitled Lethal Leftovers Threaten Europe. Uh, the bombs of World War II are still killing people in Europe. They turn up, sometimes they blow up at construction sites, fishing nets on beaches, 50 years after the guns have fallen silent. Hundreds of tons of explosives are recovered every year in France alone. In that year, 13 old bombs exploded killing 12 people and wounding 11 others. One expert said, I've lost two of my colleagues in defusing bombs. Uh, He said, unexploded bombs become more dangerous with time because of the corrosion within. And the same thing is true if we bottle up anger in our hearts. It leads to bitterness in in our lives. It it can create problems in, in our life. The other way we misuse anger is we explode. We just blow off 
the handle and speak our mind and then everything's fine or at least we think it's fine one lady went to billy sunday and she said i have a problem with my temper when things don't go my way i i say the first thing that comes to my mind and and afterwards it's fine and uh billy sunday looked at her and said the same thing happens with a shotgun one blast and it's over but is it always fine we, we need to be careful how we handle anger. There is a place and there is a time for anger. You read the scriptures and you'll find out that in the temple, Jesus got angry. They were abusing his temple. They were misusing it. He even went so far as to take some whips and drive out the money changers and so forth. Uh, he, he expressed his anger uh, appropriately there. Aristotle once said, anyone can become angry. That is easy. But to be angry with the right person to the right degree at the right time for the right purpose and in the right way, that is not so easy. Paul says we need to be careful with our anger. In James chapter 1, he says um, in verse 19, This you know, my beloved brethren, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. We need to learn to be slow to anger. What is it that pushes your buttons? You know, you're around a person long enough, you, you, you learn what their hot buttons are, don't you? But we, we need to be careful in, in those areas. And sometimes we need to pray, Lord, help me to, to guard this area of my life. If we don't, now notice he says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath here or your anger here. What is he's saying and that is if something is bothering us we need to settle it quickly if you go to a person with a list of offenses from over the last several years or months you've got a problem in your heart because you are to go quickly and settle those issues don't wait until you get a whole long list to condemn the person with you go one by one and you say well i don't like to do that god didn't ask if you like to do it god said do it if you have an offense against a brother, you have a responsibility to go and get it settled quickly. He said, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath here. If we don't, I think verse 27 becomes a real possibility then. He said, do not give the devil an opportunity. If we are angry and we bottle that, angry up, that anger up or we explode with it and hurt somebody else, we give the devil an opportunity to work in our heart and to work through us to to hurt the the other person anger misuse will open the door to all kinds of problems we need to pray sometimes lord i need the fruit of your spirit and that is self-control help me to deal with this situation in a way that's glorifying to you the third command that he has here is do not steal versus work for a living if you recall the eighth commandment of the ten commandments is Thou shall not steal. The anecdote to that is to do what? To work for a living. To earn that which we, we need for our needs and our, our wants there. Contrary to the expectations of many today, society doesn't owe us a living. We have the responsibility to work, to, to earn our way in life. Man was programmed to work. Part of the creation of man and part of the command that God to, gave to Adam and Eve was to go forth and work, to dress the garden, to keep it, 
to, to uh, do meaningful work in, in that area. Now, what all that involved, Scripture doesn't reveal. But the fact of the matter is, God said, I, am, I have a creative work for you to do. Work is not a result of the curse of man. Work is not, as a lot of people think, a four-letter word that we want to avoid. Work is a gift of God. It's a blessing from God. We were created to be productive. We were created to, to in a sense, uh, mirror the image of God by being creative, creative ourselves. And, and we, God has given us those creative talents for a reason. In Second Corinthians, Second Thessalonians three ten, he says, "If any will not work, neither should he eat. If you're not hungry enough to work, then you shouldn't eat." Now, I realize there are some that cannot work, and, and they need our help, and we need to do everything possible we can to, to reach out to those that that either cannot work or, or cannot work enough to to meet their basic needs there. But if somebody's taking advantage of the system and stealing, then I think it's, there's a point where we need to say, if you're not willing to work, you're not willing to eat. Uh, uh, God says, avoid stealing, avoid taking that which isn't, isn't rightfully yours. Work so that you have something to share with, with someone else there. The fourth area is do not speak evil versus speak what is good in verses 29 and 30. And this is a key area in this passage because Matthew chapter 12 Verse 34 says these words. You brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. That's a sobering thought there. The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Listen to a person's conversation for a period of time and you soon get an idea of their character. What is it they talk about? What kind of words do they use? It, it saddens me to walk by a playground and, and listen to the, some of the conversation that, that goes on there. Those kids are speaking from what has filled their heart. Not that they filled their hearts with it, not intentionally, but guess what? They probably learned it from mom and dad. Now that's what has filled their hearts. And, and, and they're speaking out, even if sometimes they don't even know what they're saying, but that, that corruption has been programmed into their life. When we we think of our speech, it reflects our character. What is really in our hearts today? He says, put off unwholesome, or that word could also be the corrupt speech, unwholesome. It could also be put off rotten speech. You ever hear rotten speech when when you're out there? the things that people say. We're going to look at more of that in chapter when we get into chapter 5. It, it involves filthy lies, foolish jesting and talking. It involves gossip. The, the, the gift of speech is a tremendous gift of God to be able to communicate. It's one of the things that separates us from animals. Uh, they, they don't have the ability to speak. They, they have the, the sounds that they can make. And you can infer certain things from that, those sounds, but they don't have the gift of communication that, that you and I have. How are we using that tremendous gift that, that God has given to us? Are we using it to build one another up? Are we using it to encourage one another? Or are we using it to tear down somebody else, to criticize, to, to condemn, or, or even to blaspheme the Lord with, with, with our speech there? When we misuse it, then verse 30 says, 
we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Now, if, if you recall, as we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and chapter 6, if we've accepted Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit dwells within our hearts. And so if we are misusing that, that gift of speech, it's grieving him. It saddens him that, that we are, are misusing that very gift that God has entrusted us with. I think a good prayer comes out of Psalms 141, verse 3, where he says, set a guard over my lips. Keep the door of my mouth. You ever pray that prayer? That's a, that's a good one to pray. Lord, give me wisdom. You know, when, when you get into a, a, a bad situation or a frustrating situation, it's good, I think, in the heat of that moment to say, Lord, guard my speech. Help me to be careful what I say. We can justify the wrong speech because they did this or they said that, but you can't justify it before the Lord. He's there to help you control that speech. And so an obvious question for us to wrestle with is, how have you been using this gift that God has given to you. It's a tremendous gift, being able to communicate, being able to bless others, to be able to encourage others with it. Uh, what was your speech patterns like this past week? Were you encouraging? Were you building up? Were you using it to praise the Lord? Should I do some meddling? Did you use it to criticize? Uh, maybe criticize the Lord. Did you do... Any complaining this week? Uh, mm. uh, uh, was, was God there in that situation? Uh, what was there to complain about? Uh, did, did you use it to tear somebody down? We've been gifted by God with that tremendous gift. He says, don't let unwholesome words come out of your mouth, but that which is good, that which will edify, that which will build up, that which meets the need of the moment, that which gives what? grace to those who hear it. Are you an instrument of grace through your speech? Uh, are others seeing the grace of God by the things that you say and how you say them there? And then the fifth one is, do not be bitter versus be kind. Uh, there's actually six areas that he warned us about here in verse 31. I think bitterness covers, it's the root of all of them there. Uh, the, the other six, I think, are derived from a spirit of bitterness in our heart. Someone has said that bitterness, or if, if we entertain bitterness in our hearts, it's like drinking a bottle of poisoning, poison and hoping that somebody else dies. <laughs> That's what bitterness does in our life. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 speaks of the fact that if we entertain a root of bitterness, it will spring up in our hearts, and by it, many will be troubled. But who will be troubled the most by it? The bitter person. They are the one that, that, that will suffer the most. How does, how does it trouble us? Well, it brings wrath into our lives. The word wrath speaks of anger or rage that is wrongly used. We think we have a right to get even. We, we think we have a right because they said this, I can say that. We, we can justify it because of bitterness in our hearts. The second word is anger. The word that he uses for anger there speaks of a settled hostility. It speaks of the fact that we are not willing to release or, or let go of the problem. 
We want our way, and we're going to see it through until we get our way. We're not going to forgive. We're not going to forget. We're going to keep pressing on until we get what we want. The third area is clamor. The, the idea behind that word is someone who is quick to fight, quick to quarrel. Uh, you know anybody like that? Fly off the handle very easily, looking for a fight. Uh, if that's true in your life, there's something you need to put off. You need to change your clothes. You, you need to let God change your heart and, and life. Then he says slander. The word slander means, means to speak evil of somebody else or to gossip. The real intent is to hurt that other person. Now, we may not think we're intending to hurt them, but if we're gossiping, we are hurting that other person. We're spreading uh, something, telling something about them that other people don't need to know. Uh, we can even destroy somebody with, with slander. Malice is ill will with that same desire to hurt there. And so rather than falling into that trap, he said, I want you to put all of that off. That's one of the clothes that we change here. And he said, I want instead, in verse 32, he said, I want you to be kind to one another. How are we kind to one another? First of all, he says, we are kind by being tenderhearted, by identifying with that person in, in, in their need there, by having a tender heart, by forgiving each other. If we refuse to forgive, we're entertaining bitterness in our heart. We need to not just say we forgive. We need to be willing to forgive and to let go of the hurt and, and so forth there. They say, wait a minute, that's costly. Yes, it is. Forgiveness always costs the one who is offering the forgiveness. In, if you think about that, Jesus forgave our sin. What did it cost him? cost him his life on the cross. And yet, if you read Hebrews chapter 12 there, it says he went to the cross. He despised the cross and the shame. He did it for the joy that was set before him. When we forgive as Christ forgave us, it brings joy into our hearts. It brings joy back into our lives. It brings us back into a right relationship with God. I'm not suggesting in that that when we forgive, it always makes it right with the other person. Sometimes they'll go their own way and they won't accept that forgiveness. But that's no longer your problem, that's theirs. If you have truly extended forgiveness to them, then you can move forward with that, that joy in, in your lives. We are called here to forgive just as God in Christ forgave us. Have you ever stopped to think, when did Jesus forgive you was it when you asked him to forgive or was it on the cross of calvary it, we read in romans chapter 5 that when we were enemies christ died for us forgave us in that moment now it didn't benefit us until we came to christ and asked for his forgiveness but it kept him from being bitter and frustrated and upset he was willing to forgive, even though we hadn't yet asked for his forgiveness. We are to be forgiving of one another and, and allow God to work in our lives and through our lives to someone else. We used to tell our kids when they were growing up, don't let others determine your actions on the playground. You hear those words, well, he hit me first doesn't give you the right to hit him back. 
or she said this, so therefore I, I, I said, no, don't use the actions of others to determine your actions. We're called in this passage to put off the old and to put off the, put on the new. We need to do that. Irregardless of what everybody else may be doing, we have the responsibility to put off the old and put on the new. As I mentioned last week, there were times when I would get ready to go downtown. My wife would say, you're not going downtown looking like that, are you? And I'd look at it and think, well, why not? <laughs> but uh, many times I, I've, I wisely listen to her advice. Not every time, but sometimes I do. And uh, we'll, we'll put on a, a different set of, of clothes. Well, I wonder how many times Christ would say, you're not leaving this room dressed like that, are you? You're not going to take that anger with you, that bitterness, and, and express it out. You're not going to take that, that lie, are you? It's time to put on something new. I want to do something new, something different in your life. It's time to put off the old clothes and put on the new. It's time to stop making excuses for wrong behavior. It's time to say, well, that's just the way I am, or that's the way the Lord made me. No, you're a new creature in Christ. You're being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Don't blame your anger on your heritage. Well, I, I'm Irish, so I have a right for, for a temper. Don't blame your stubbornness on the fact that maybe you're German or whatever group you see is stubborn there. No, you're not. You're a new creature in Jesus Christ. You have the responsibility to live out the character of Christ in the world in which we live. So go back to and look at these five examples. Have you been telling the truth to God? When we sing some of the songs we sing, do we really mean the words that we're mouthing or are we telling a lie? Do we say, I, I, I confess you as Lord of my life and then Jesus would come to us in Luke chapter 6 and say, why do you bother calling me Lord? you're not going to do the things that I said. Good for us to examine what, what is the lie that we've believed in those areas and are we really telling the truth? Are we controlling that anger, that temper, or making excuses because of our background? Are we working or are we taking that which doesn't really belong to us? Uh, are we careful in those areas? Are we speaking evil or speaking good? Are we bitter or are we kind? Go back over the list this week because each one of them speaks to each of us there and pray, Lord, help me to put on the new. Help me to live my life reflecting the character of Jesus Christ. Listen to him when he says, you're not going out in the world dressed like that, are you? Ask him what needs to be changed and let him change your heart and your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that you do care enough about us sometimes to come and say, you're not living like that, are you? You're not allowing that in your life. You're, what, what are you doing living like that or acting like that? You're my child. Help us to realize there's things we need to put off. There's things we need to put on. And give us the courage to face those issues, to honestly look at them and ask ourselves, is there some area today in these five examples that you would put your finger on and say, you need some new clothes? And thank you that you made those new clothes available to us today. In Jesus' name.
Amen. With that in mind, we've got a tough song to sing here. It's a song or a chorus, I'm not sure which, but make me a blessing. Now, that's a good song. I like it. But if you don't mean it, if you're not going to go out here and seek to be a blessing to somebody else, maybe you shouldn't sing it. Do you, are you really meaning what you say when you sing these words? Make me a blessing today. I'll leave that up to you to decide. Gary, come and lead us.